Hello and welcome to Sounds of Smoke, a mystery adventure podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Please remember that all characters, people, events, and situations are completely made up for your fictional pleasure. They do not represent any real-life people, events, or pets, and any likeness to a reality is purely coincidental. It's just a story. Episode 19, Green Hollow. So, Mr. Greenbos, you can call me Jerry, he interrupts me, trying to take control of the situation. Okay, Jerry, I do apologize for the, how shall I put it, um, the inconvenience that we have put you through. I'm sure you might be wondering what it is that we want from you. Jerry is sitting relaxed while being tied to this rolly office chair. I swear, this guy just does not get frazzled at all. I wonder if it would even make sense to torture him. I mean, he is clearly a sociopath. I know it because in our line of work, most of us are. I am what you call a functioning semi-sociopath. I'm not a total lost hope, but I am definitely emotionally unavailable. I mean... I hope you didn't think I was a normal dude that can just torture someone and then go eat ice cream. Nope. Most of us here are damaged. But anyway, I digress. What was I doing? Ah, yes. I am somewhat legitimately worried. You see, people like us, emotionally unavailable, well... We react differently to these kind of situations. Basically, torture might not work on him. And if it doesn't, then what should we do to him? Fuck. This could be a problem. While I'm contemplating my next step, Jerry turns his attention to Lola. You never introduced me to the lovely lady that I almost met in my library. I'm Jerry, dear. And what is your name, pretty girl? Jerry looks over at Lola, eating her burger with a fork. Yeah, she eats her burgers with a fork. I mean, can she be more of an adorable weirdo? I'm Lola, how do you do? I say my name while finishing chewing my burger. Should I have said my name? It's just that he has already seen my face, and Cynthia has met me, so I believe that boat of mystery has sailed, crashed, and burned a while ago. Jerry looks at me with a weird smile, analyzing me like a computer. It is an uneasy feeling being analyzed by this man. It's like he sees too much. It's interesting that when you think of what one of the most powerful men in the world would be like, it's kind of pretty much exactly what I would imagine. (laughs) Cold, evil, smart, and lacks any sort of attachment to the emotions. Nice to meet you, dear, says Jerry. He continues. 
So, what does a girl like you doing hanging out with these very bad men? You know, these are no ordinary boys. They kill people, dear. He pauses for a second, looking at me. But I feel more like he's looking through me. And then he continues. Although, I guess maybe you can do that too, hmm? Jerry smiles as he asks his question and then turns his head towards Dave. So, what are you? Clearly not an Illari. Some kind of freelancer? Contractor? Tech? Would I have any use for you? You know, you want to be on my good side. Because if you boys are not intending to kill me, then you really should hope that I will need you in the future. Otherwise, what good are you to me? The balls on this guy. I look around the room, and all of the guys have their own reaction of disbelief. I can see Nick, who is sitting on a couch eating some leftover french fries, has paused his chew and looked up for a second before going back to eating. Dave has raised an eyebrow and has a smirk on his face, which means that he's about to say something snarky. And Vic, Vic is trying really hard to stay calm. Huh, wow, this Jerry guy is dangerous. Unbelievable. This guy is asking us to pitch him. Is he trying to recruit us? <laughs> My lord, boys, I think he is. Just out of curiosity, what's the pay and are there any perks? Says Dave. Stop it. Now, Jerry, I appreciate your offer and we will definitely consider it. But for now, do you mind if I go on? I try to keep calm. This asshole will not get under my skin, although he is getting awfully close to it. Jerry nods. I go on. Well, Jerry, the matter of fact is, I take a breath. Well, it's that I'm afraid we need your middle finger. I pause, looking for a reaction before I proceed. So far, nothing. I continue. This is like playing chess with a master. Exhausting. Don't worry, we will not be cutting it off. We'll just have to go on a little field trip to the wonderful Garden State of New Jersey. Now Jerry makes his move. Have you boys gone rogue? You know that they will come for me any minute now. Your boss is my ally. Illari and I are pals, and you boys are way over your head. Although, I do appreciate the initiative. I don't know if Illari will. They don't really like people's individual endeavors. But I can try and put in a good word if I decide you have any use for me, says Jerry. My turn. It seems that you haven't gotten the memo, Jerry. Illari is no longer interested in being your ally. Didn't you read that email from Cynthia? The agreement that we made with her is that we will return you back to Cynthia directly once we are done. Queen to H4. Checkmate. 
That got his attention. Jerry's eyes widened and then darted from me to Dave, who was sitting on the bed, playing with his bow tie in his hands. Cynthia, huh, says Jerry, taking a beat, and then smiling again as if nothing I said made any impact on him. I don't know what he's smiling about. I'm pretty sure Illari is going to get rid of him once they get him back from us. I've got to say, Cynthia is a very stylish lady and very beautiful. I didn't expect that from an um, upper management villain. Not sure if that's her official title, of course. I was too intimidated to ask. Question, um, do you know where she gets her suits from? Because they're just so cool and classy. I was thinking maybe trying on that look for myself. Not the heels, though. They just seem impractical. As I say that, I can see Jerry's face finally change. His smile disappears once he realizes that we are not bluffing. Well, I guess you are useful for me after all. But are you sure this is what you want? Because once you cross this threshold, there is no going back, boys and girl, says Jerry. Just like yourself, dear sir, I don't believe we have a choice anymore. We look at each other, Jerry and I. You are too smart for me, dearie. I like you, he says. Thank you, Jerry. So, um, would you mind terribly if we took a trip to Green Hollow? Not at all. Ready when you are, dears, Jerry answers. Great. We are ready to rock and roll then. I get up and walk over to Jerry and stab him in the neck with a narcotic syringe that Dave gave me earlier in case I needed to knock someone out. The guys gasp. Sorry. Sorry, I know. I just found him so annoying. Like, what a dick. Stop being so cocky, you know? I can't argue with that. That guy is going to have one hell of a headache and a crazy craving for something sweet after all this ordeal. Really? Something sweet? Yeah. It's because him being so dormant unnaturally for longer periods of time will cause his blood sugar to plummet. So, once he's up, he'll crave sugar. It sounds like I'm narrating a sloth documentary. Smooth, bro. Wow. I didn't know you're a scientist. Don't get him started. Otherwise, you'll never hear the end of his nerdiness. It's not nerdiness, it's knowledge. Must Nick cramp my style? I'm technically on my third date with Lola here, I think. Because the bar and the rave was the first date, and the country club is the second. I feel it's fair to classify it like that. Besides, we kissed and also had a real moment on the dance floor. This counts. Hey, can someone throw a pillowcase over his head? I grab a pillowcase and throw it on Jerry's face. Because apparently rolling a man who is tied to a chair is fine. But we should still protect his identity in this neighborhood church slash underworld safe haven place. I wonder if that was a real priest. But I feel weird to ask. Maybe I'll ask one of the nuns if I see one again. 
Okay, Cookie. Come with me. We need to go see the bartender. Guys, we'll meet you downstairs. Says Dave, and then he nudges me to follow him as we leave Vic, Nick, and out called Jerry Trio by the elevator. Wait, hold up. Says Nick, holding the door of the elevator. He reaches his hand towards Dave and hands him a piece of paper. Dave looks at it and nods right as the elevator's doors close. What is that about? I ask. You'll see, answers Dave. Okay, whatever, I don't care. God, this thing can be so annoying. On the other hand, do I really want to know something that they decide not to tell me? Hmm, food for thought. It's probably food to go, actually. I can totally see Nick needing more food for the road. I mean, this guy is always eating. We turn the corner and take the stairs up a floor. My god, this place is like a maze. Ah, the good old ice cream truck, I say as Nick and I stuff Jerry into the back. We had a decision to make whether to take him off the chair or not, and we decided that it's easier to move him around if he is on a rolly chair. I mean, this guy weighs like 300 pounds. How safe do you think it is for us to go to Green Hollow? I ask Nick. He ponders for a second and then says, I'll say 50-50? You think he can take Conan if he's sent there? I ask. Nick gives me an, oh please, look. Dude, I have all the faith in you, but Conan is no joke. You guys came up together. He is gruesome. And I believe you have that scar on your back to prove it. During one of the trainings, apparently Nick and Conan got very competitive, which happens, and Conan sliced Nick across the back with a sword. Yeah, the training is no joke. I got it. Don't worry. Plus, you know damn well that's why two of Connie's, Nick calls Conan Connie just to irritate him, fingers are crooked and don't bend all the way now. As a retaliation, Nick broke two of Conan's fingers, like, broke them all the way. Those two have a complicated relationship. Okay, you got it then. While we are waiting for Dave and Lola, I go to the wall to make a phone call. If you ever want to make a phone call that can never be traced, do it in the neighborhood church. Their landlines are the safest place to call from. They get rerouted through multiple lines and can't be traced because it is a rotary system, not digital. Not obsolete after all. Just forgotten, like some of those subway tunnels. What are you doing, says Nick. I just wave to him. He grumbles because he knows I'm going to check in with one of the agents inside the nest. I dial out and wait to see if he picks up my call. Hey man, what's up? Hold on. I hear a few dial tones on the line and then the voice comes back. Oh my god, dude, what did you do? There are whispers around here and they are not good. It's Billy. We came up together in the program and I guess are sort of friends? Work friends. Nick doesn't like him. He thinks Billy is a weaselly dude, but I think he is just jealous. Did you just put the scrambler on? The scrambler? Well, it scrambles the phone connection, so if anyone is listening in on the phone call on Billy's end, they can't make out what anyone is saying. Yeah, dude. Billy, what are the whispers? Because I've been working in the woods, so not much communication on my end. Oh, dude! I think Nick has gone rogue. Nobody heard from him in a while, and 
Also, Francis is missing, which, you know, mixed feelings about that, because he was a dick. But still, for him to be missing, not good, because he was a monster extractor. Oh, and I'm not sure, but did you hear that your house blew up? Says Billy. Wait, what? Nick's gone rogue? I thought he was just MIA. No, you mean to tell me that you haven't seen your husband? Says Billy. Ha ha, very funny. And no, should I be worried? I don't know. What about your house? Yeah, that happened. I just thought it was some ammo going bad. I was in the field at the time, living in a motel down the road now. Obviously, I'm lying, but trying to play it innocent and low-key. Hopefully, Billy won't pick up, because he works internal relations, so not a field dude. Dude, you should come in, because this is a mess, and as I said, there are whispers. Whispers, huh? How bad? Not good. The whispers are about where your loyalty lies. Fuck. Search party out yet? Don't know. Call me in an hour. Let me see what I can find out. But dude, seriously, you need to come in. I hear you. I'll call you in an hour. And the next donuts are on me. The next month of donuts are on you, says Billy, and we hang up the phone. I look at Nick. So, he asks. Well, you're fucked for sure. And me? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Billy says they're talking treason. Also, he was pushing way too hard for me to come in. He told me to give him a call in an hour, so we have an hour before search party goes out for us. Maybe some travel time since I pinned myself in the motel in Eastern Long Island. I guess that can buy us another 30 minutes? Man... I really hope that there is something good in that grave, because we need leverage. We take a seat at the neighborhood church bar and make an order for the bartender. I'm looking around to see if it's going to be the same lady as last time. But no, this time it's a hipster-looking dude in his 50s, who looks like he used to be in a rock band. Tattoos on his arms, casual, somewhat ripped t-shirt, a skinny scarf, a guy liner. I mean, the works. The man is committed to his look. At the same time, the waiter comes over and Dave gives him a piece of paper that Nick gave him. The waiter looks at the paper and says, it'll be 15. Dave nods and the waiter disappears. Is this your Lola then? The rocker bartender asks Dave, looking at me. Wow, the word travels fast in the underworld. The one and only, says Dave with pride. Nice to finally meet you, Sugar Plum, says the bartender as he grabs and kisses my hand. Little lady, Sugar Plum, dearie, what's with the old-timey nicknames? I feel like I'm at my grandmother's retirement home. What's next? They'll be pinching my cheeks and giving me hard candy? Thanks. I reply back politely. The bartender winks at me. Okay. Slow down there, old timer. I think to myself. So, what would you guys like to order? Asks the bartender. A shadow, please, says Dave. Really? 
Interesting. How do you want it? Asks the bartender. Extra cloudy. Answers Dave. One shadow extra cloudy coming up. Anything else? Dave thinks and then adds, "Just a couple of nightshades for the road. We're all out already." Dave shrugs his shoulders with a smile. "Wow, you guys party hard these days," comments the bartender as he starts to walk away. "Metal man, pure metal," replies Dave. If I didn't just spend the last few days with you and the other two, I think this conversation would have given me a massive migraine. But I think I was actually able to follow some of your code nonsense. This is weird, but cool, but weird. Dave smiles at me like I'm telling him that I just learned how to read, and he lights up a joint. Well done, cooks. Don't patronize me. I'm just saying that I'm figuring this shit out. You arrogant asshole. Dave lets out a laugh. He's such a prick sometimes. The waiter comes back to us and tells Dave that his order is ready. As we get up to leave, Dave grabs my hand and stops me. What? Hold on, come this way for a second, he says, and we make the way to a table at the back of the bar, where an elderly black gentleman is sitting. He is wearing a relaxed suit and a shirt in various shades of gray. He looks like a high-fashion magazine cover for an expensive men's clothing. He has a neat gray scruff on his face, and he is smoking a cigar. The table is covered in all sorts of newspapers in different languages, and he is drinking an espresso. He looks up as we approach the table. "Hello, sir," says Dave, way too respectfully. "David," the man reaches his hand to shake and motions for us to sit down. "Sir, this is my Lola," Dave says nervously. I see. Yes, I see what you mean," he says as he reaches towards me for a handshake. I respond, and he holds my hand with both hands as he looks at me. I don't think I've been analyzed this much since I first met Eli's mother, my ex, who is a psychiatrist. The mother, not the ex. So that's a whole different level of meeting your boyfriend's mother. Stan Rose, how do you do? The gray suit man says as he is looking at me directly in the eye. I'm doing you okay. Thank you. How are you, sir? I don't really know what to ask. Do you know how unsettling it is when someone is making a direct eye contact with you? It's actually pretty weird. Think about it. Most of the time, we don't really look each other in the eye for longer than like a couple of seconds. Also, the real questions that I want to ask, like, who are you? What do you do? How is this all even happening? Is it legal for the church to be an underworld bar? Those kind of questions, something is telling me, are not the ones that I should be asking out loud, or at least not now. Very well, thank you," says Stan Rose, and he lets go of my hand. He sits back and picks up an Italian newspaper. Did you see this? Fascinating, horrible, but fascinating. Stan Rose says as he folds the Italian newspaper and shows us the article on the front page. There is a picture of what looks like a dead man in a suit. His face is covered, and there's police around. He's lying on the floor in a room. I don't speak Italian, so I'm not sure what it says. I'm guessing a murder, maybe. 
But Dave scans it fast and responds, Wow, a serial killer. That is horrible indeed. There is a serial killer in Italy? It looks that way, says Dave. Looks like his victims are all middle-aged, successful white males. This is the seventh one. He kills by strangulation, although he doesn't use his hands. They're trying to figure out his weapon of choice. I think it's a tie, just a guess. What do you think, kids? Stan Rose asks us. What a bizarre question. Somehow I feel that it's a test. Hmm, yeah, I think it might be. Can't be traced too easily, yet anyone can have it. Ordinary object that's easily acquired. Yeah, Dave answers lazily. Strange. He's nervous, yet he's not trying to impress him. I'm sure he knows exactly what the strangler uses. I know for a fact that Dave is smarter than this. Who is this Stan Rose? And what do you think, Lola? Stan Rose asks me. I think it might be a scarf. Maybe a, a longer one? Expensive silk scarf? It's stronger. And the length makes it easier. In that picture, you can see the bruising on the neck, even though the face is covered. So the marking would be too wide for a tie. Must be a scarf then? I think the murderer might be a woman. Not a rope? Stan Rose checks. No, that would be too obvious, I think. Plus, the markings don't seem that dark, although this is not a very clear picture. Yes, I think you're right, sugar. A woman then. Stan Rose flips the newspaper to a crossword puzzle, fills one of the lines in, and then puts down the newspaper and takes a sip of his espresso. Well, sir, we won't bother you any longer. Plus, we have plans, says Dave as he gets up. Stop by any time. And that invitation is open to you as well, my dear Lola. Uh, thank you, sir. It was a pleasure meeting you. And with that... We leave. Seriously, man? What the fuck? I'm driving in the right lane, you asshole. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I fucking hate Jersey drivers. Who cuts off an ice cream truck in the right lane? Also, it's like 3 in the morning. I can't believe that I'm having road rage at 3 a.m. on the turnpike. Here, have a cone and chill out. They're probably just some stoned and drunk teenagers coming or going to a party, Nick says as he offers me an ice cream cone. Right. No, I'm good. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. It's just, who cuts off an ice cream truck? Shit. Did I wake her? Dave, who is sitting right behind us, turns to look back. Nah, buddy. She and Jerry are still out. I hope he's not dead. Dave disappears into the back of the truck for a second, and then we hear, Nope, he's good. Dave comes back to his seat behind us. He always that sensitive of a driver, Dave says. Yep, Nick answers. I am not sensitive. I just like rules. Road rules are there for a reason, like seatbelts. They save lives. I put a blinker on as I turn off onto our exit. Wow, whispers Dave. I know, says Nick. I can hear you, assholes. You're sitting right here. They snicker. And then Dave says, 
just a heads up, you should probably never let Lola drive, because she is kind of reckless when it comes to driving. I'm not saying women are bad drivers. She's a good driver, but an aggressive one. Like, you know that scratch on the left side? That's her fault. Where to now? I ask Nick, because we are using paper maps to be under the radar, since leaving a digital footprint right now is not a good idea. Stay on this road for a quarter of a mile and then turn to Garden Ave. It's dark and quiet outside. 3 a.m. in suburbia is pretty depressing. 3 a.m. in New Jersey, somewhere in the semi-residential, semi-industrial area, is almost creepy. I feel this is where the mob goes to dump bodies. If I wasn't a professional, I imagine this would have been scary. But to me, this feels like just another day at work. Are we almost here already? I look out of the side sales window and can see the familiar neighborhood of Green Hollow. Did you have a nice nap? <sighs> I probably did wake her after all. Yeah, not bad. How long was I out for? Like 30, maybe 40 minutes tops? The drive is much faster at 3 a.m. Not too much traffic, says Dave. I look at Jerry tied up on his chair and tied to a freezer. He's also out cold. I hope he's not dead. I contemplate to check on him. He's fine. I just checked, says Dave. Oh, good. I don't really want to touch him unless I absolutely have to. Where to now? I come to a red light. All of a sudden, we hear someone banging on the side of the truck. Nick pulls out his gun and puts it on his lap. Wait. I got this, says Dave. I know that banging. It's not the first time that happened. I slide the sales window partially open and say, Sorry, buddy, we're all out. It was a crazy rush tonight, but there is a burger and shake joint on Herrera Street. I close the sales window. I turn towards Vic, who is watching me. You know, drunk people to ice cream truck, like a moth to a flame situation. Lights green. Right. I make a left turn to Garden Ave. What's next? Right at August, and then follow the Wren Street, and it should be there. Is that right? Nick says, checking with Lola, since she is the only one that has actually been here and knows where we're going. Yep, you'll have to go around the apartment complex, and it's sort of in the back there. It's a wire fence with a gate. It's got a combination lock. I know the old combination, but they might have changed that. <laughs> That's not a problem. Combination lock? Please. We just kidnapped the CEO of one of the biggest companies on the planet, and we have sort of gone rogue with a world-dominating underworld power. I think we can beat a combination lock. I saw Nick shaking his head with a smile as he looked at me. He doesn't know what I'm thinking. What? Nothing. I didn't say anything, said Nick. Shut up. Wow. It looks so creepy here at night. I feel this is where people get whacked. The streets are empty. No people, no cars, no homeless people, nothing. Just little dark houses with no lights in the windows. Line the streets on one side and large lifeless warehouses on the other side. There aren't even any street lights, just complete darkness. I literally had the same thought like five minutes ago. 
I say that with way too much enthusiasm. <sighs> Hopefully I didn't come off sounding like a complete psycho. Do you guys whack people? I mean, is the mob a real thing or is it all just you? Or is there an actual mob? They all laugh at me, but not in a bad way. I think Vic can cover this one. I'm gonna go prep since we're almost here, says Dave, and opens a duffel bag. No, we are not the mob. Not to sound creepy, but we are better than the mob. The mob is a real thing. Ilari certainly influences the mob on some level, but not in an obvious way. Most of the mob does not even know about Ilari. The criminal underworld is slightly different from our underworld. Basically, we are professionals, they are amateurs. Those guys are brutal. They kill to be dominant or macho or whatever. For us, it's not personal. It's work. Okay, that sounded a little creepy, but I did see Lola stab Francis in the thigh without even the slightest wince. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, good. Dave takes out a vial with a liquid and then a small syringe and fills the syringe with the liquid. He looks at me watching him and winks and then says, If you're good, I'll let you stab Jerry. You're a weirdo, I reply. Good? In what way? That was not the reaction I was expecting. Well, it's just that means that some things are exactly what they are. And that means that I'm not crazy for believing in life that I used to have. You know, before all this started. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I never would have thought of it that way. Civilians, man. Whole other world, says Nick. Exactly. We're here. That's the gate. Thank you for listening. Sounds of Smoke is written by Anna Abrams and performed by Anna Abrams and Dan Medvedev. And if you like the podcast, please help us grow by giving us a good rating of five stars or dropping a sweet comment. We are on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. It's all Sounds of Smoke. Our website is soundsofsmoke.com, or you can follow us on Insta at Bedlam and Delirium. Much appreciate the love. Thank you, guys. The Bat Team.